0: It's great to be uh, worshiping here with you this morning. Like Adria said, we're wrapping up our series uh, called Messy Grace. And and can I just say, hopefully this is okay for me to say, I'm glad that we're wrapping that series up. (laughs) We have talked about politics. We've talked about sexual identity. We've talked about racism. Today we're talking about sanctity of life. And just like for the record... Like, that's exhausting for me. I, you know, don't set out, like, to talk about all those things all the time. But I will say this, um, and I forgot to mention this in first service, but I have gotten more response and more interaction and positive uh, with folks over this series uh, more than anything else that we've done, except for maybe our series on mental health that we've done here at velocity and and it just it just shows i think it goes to show how deeply impacted we are in our daily lives about these issues. I mean these are real issues that we face with real people every day and they're meaningful and they're important. And today as we talk about sanctity of life, this is the issue that kind of uh, has ties to everything that we've talked about before. Politics, sexual identity, racism, sanctity of life, it all it all pours into that because for some of us, and for many people, sanctity of life, the issue of pro-choice versus pro-life, is a single voter issue, a single issue uh, for them when they vote politically. I mean, it, the, the sides are very contentious on that. For our culture and how we view sexuality, like abortion, sanctity of life, pro-life versus pro-choice, that's an issue because of how we, how we view that. Race impacts the numbers on abortion and who's having them and what communities are more impacted versus others. It's a big topic, and it's a big issue, and it's all interconnected. And as we, as Christ followers, are dealing with them all, we've got to learn how to show grace in the midst of the mess. Now, some some of you might be thinking at this point, hey, we're, we're in church. We're talking about pro-life versus pro-choice. I mean, that's kind of a Aren't you kind of talking to the choir here this morning? Isn't that kind of a given of what we might believe and what we might say about that? Maybe that that might be the case. But as we go through this 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 issue in our culture, and as we deal with it this morning, I think I hope that there are a couple things be a couple things that happen. One is that you'll see and understand why we think about this the way that we do, um, and two, how we share what God calls us to with others on these tough. Topics. On the one hand, uh, with sanctity of life, we have people who believe that life begins in the womb and should be protected. That this is an issue of justice more than anything else for the unborn. On the other hand, you have people who believe that protecting the rights of the individual woman's sovereignty over self is the best thing that we can do. There's not a whole lot of middle ground here, there's not a whole lot of unity around disagreeing about this topic and this issue one gives the mother complete autonomy over her body the other seemingly gives none and it's difficult and it's messy to show grace because there is a subtle not so subtle actually cultural shift that has been happening for decades in our society and our culture and that is are, are we really made in god's image like, do we really have intrinsic value because we're created by God? Or are we just here in kind of this endless cycle of life and death that just kind of randomly happen? Like, do, do people really have value just because they exist? Is there something innate about conception and preborn babies that causes us to view this in a specific way? Or does it really matter? The question of this sanctity of life idea, like, why is life holy, is actually really similar to what we dealt with last week when we talked about racism. Because it all comes down to this question of who determines the value of another life. If it's man, expect the helpless and marginalized to be oppressed. Like that, That's just what is going to happen naturally. Those who are in the majority of power are going to exert that power and determine the value of others because they are more power, powerful. That's just natural and to be expected. If it's God, then it doesn't matter who's in power what matters is simply that God's will defines and directs value. And when it comes to human life, we are more, and the Bible goes further than just being made in God's image, just a reflection to be here in relationship with us. God has a much more intimate relationship and value for us. Take David, for example, who in Psalm chapter 139, who writes songs and poetries and uses these words to describe God's sovereignty over his life. See, David just didn't have this belief in a higher power that somehow gives value to humanity. He believed in something very unique about how God interacted with humanity. He writes this passage at a day and time when child sacrifice still existed. He writes about this in a time in which the nation of Israel had sacrificed their own sons and daughters to other gods and other idols in worship for him. This belief in a higher power is not the thing that unites us on the issue of sanctity of life. Like, that's not the, the, the issue and the single thing. It's the uniqueness with which God interacts and feels and cares about community and his creation for us, for humanity and for us. See, David is praising God for being intimately involved and committed to his life well before he was born as a unique being separate from his mom even while in her womb. His life and our lives were foreordained with purpose, foreknown by God with purpose and with meaning and with value. We're known by Him before we even know ourselves or know that we're coming about. And this is why it's so dangerous and this is why it matters. This is why it's so dangerous to make us the arbiters of the value of life. If it's us, when we determine the value of life, it's based on what we can see and that's it. It, it, maybe if we're generous with somebody else like we see them we judge a book by its cover right like that's that's how we we go about if we're generous and, and when we're feeling nice and kind maybe we'll we'll see that there's some potential in someone else and, and there's a potential for them to do better and and exist more it, but but really we just kind of see the immediate thing and if that's the case if it's just based on that and it's just based on our experience then abortion euthanasia suicide it all makes sense because all we can do is justify value based on what we can see and what our experience is in the moment. Anything that brings into question the value of our own life or the lives of others becomes fair game. Our value is not intrinsic. It's based on our subject, subjective experience, not based on the objective will of God. On a grand, grand scale, the group think of the majority, those in power, They determine the direction and value of life on an individual scale. It's our own short-term, immediate experience and emotions and pressures of the moment that make us decide on whether or not we want to deal with the pain that we think we might experience or the long-term consequence that we might have. God, however, and here's the difference, and here's, here's what informs us as Christ followers. God, however, sees our life, your life and my life, and everyone who is to be conceived And not only understands the potential we have, but gives the priority of his existence to us. He calls creation good. He calls you and me very good. He creates a vast universe. And then he establishes you and I as stewards over it. And as fellow experiencers of it with God. See, we believe, and this is the thing that we kind of stack all this on, that God set life in motion. And so he gets to set the parameters for existence. That there's this intrinsic value established for us regardless of what stage of development that it's in. God set in motion objectively based rules for existence that transcends the desires of the individual and the community and establishes an opportunity for both the community and the individual to thrive. Now the reason this is all messy and it's messed up is because of our sin. We're the ones who screwed it up. And it's not like I get, like we want to look back at Adam and Eve and say, man, if they hadn't done that, we wouldn't have a problem here. No, we would have done the same thing. It might have been something a little bit different than how they did it, but we, we make the same choices. We make the same decisions that they did. Our thinking is so finite that we reject God's offer of the infinite. We, we get so wrapped up in our momentary, temporary problems that we choose permanent solutions over what God offers us. And that type of prideful thinking, that kind of selfish and inwardly facing idea and thought process is what gets us into trouble. It's what introduces sin into our lives. And it informs and shows us like why we have this issue as human beings with abortion. I, I want to give you some um, some statistics, some information, and, and this is from the Guttmacher uh, Institute, and this is who actually the CDC gets a lot of their information from. They willingly admit that the Guttmacher Institute keeps much better uh, data and they're much more comprehensive as they record information on abortion. And There are a couple of things that I think that are important for us to, to know and identify. The first thing is, uh, that, that thing I referred to, that I said earlier I'll refer to, aren't you preaching to the choir when it comes to this topic? Isn't abortion and and pro-life and the pro-choice argument, isn't that something that we already agree on and believe on as a church? Well, maybe. Because in 2014, 17% of abortion patients identified as mainline Protestant. 13% is evangelical Protestant and 24% is Catholic. I'm not great at math, but that's about half of abortions that happen are... Are people like you and me, who identify as Christ followers, who who believe in God, who who hopefully know that there's intrinsic value because of his of of him, and and I get like I get that we we come up against, against these grave scenarios where um, we have to people feel like they're trapped into making these tough decisions. They're pregnant because they were raped. Um, their life is threatened by their pregnancy. Uh, the pregnancy, you know, the, the child might be, you know, born unhealthy. And, and I, like, I can, I can see how those things are difficult and those are troubling situations and scenarios and, and all that kind of stuff that bring us to that point, even as Christ followers, that we might c- would consider to do that thing. But here's the second thing that I think it's important to identify, is that the overwhelming, the percentage of, of actual life or death Decisions that people have to make when it comes to this issue is so small, and the percentage is so little, that it's clear that the overwhelming majority of this case and the narrative that we need to talk about it when it comes to this issue is that we choose a, an abortion not because of physical health, but it's based on fear. It's based on fear because, as a culture, we've shifted away from God, and we don't look to him for solutions to our problems. And we try to come up with our own thing. It's based, it's based on selfishness. Because when you, when you remove God from the equation, all you can think about, and all really that makes sense when you remove him from the equation, is to do with what seems to be the best thing for you at that time. See, the main reasons for abortions, and this is, again, from the Guttmacher Institute, which is pro-abortion, so the three most common reasons, each cited by three fourths of patients, were concern for or responsibility to other individuals, the inability to afford raising a child, and the belief that having a baby would interfere with work, school, or the ability to care for dependents. Half said that they did not want to be a single parent, or were having problems with their husband or partner. But that, that's the real issue at stake here when we talk about this and how we view this issue of sanctity of life. And I get, like, I just want to recognize that I, I understand that I'm not supposed to uh, have much of an opinion here because of my gender. Um, I've never had a baby before, as far as you know. And, um, I, like, I get that from a cultural standpoint, I, I'm not supposed to have much of an opinion. I'm not supposed to share a, a lot uh, about this. But I just want to say, like, the, this whole idea that this is solely a women's health issue, I, I just want to point out that, that half of these women have said, essentially, that if the father of my child were a dad, I might not have made this decision. And, and I think when we're not willing to talk about that as a culture and as a, so- a society, I think we're biting off our noses to spite our face to say that this is only one person's decision, this is only one person's problem, when the reality is it takes two. And that's how God designed it. See, abortion, it, it, it's not just about abortion. Abortion is the symptom of a much deeper and a much more systemic problem in our society. In Psalm chapter 106, In verses 34 through 39, there's a picture that we have of the nation of Israel and the trouble that they got into as they started interacting and uh, accepting the practices of other culture into their nation. And here's some of the darker moments of the nation of Israel's history that are pointed out in this passage. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord had commanded them, but they mingled with the nations and adopted their customs. Which sounds really violent, right? I mean, that's one of the things that we look at God. And how could you possibly possibly do that? And I'll explain that in just, just a second. But let's continue reading in verse 36. They worshipped their idols, which became a snare to them. And look to see where it led. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to false gods. They shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan and the land was desecrated by their blood. They defiled themselves by what they did. By their deeds, they prostituted themselves. The holiness that God had told the nation of Israel to pursue was to keep them from evil, but it was also to keep them from the influence that fascination with living outside of God's parameters for existence brings us to. The place that it brings us to is very dark. The place has brought to as a society is, is pretty dark. It's, to me, it's not anecdotal at all. And you, you could call it anecdotal, but I don't think it's anecdotal at all that Roe v. Wade in 1973 comes after the sexual revolution of the 60s. Like, as a society and a culture, we started dealing with this newfound freedom that we had on, on these you know, traditional views of marriage and sex and all that kind of stuff. And as a result... We tried to figure out how to have our cake and eat it too. And it's led to this discussion and this topic. Not that it's new. Humans have been doing this for centuries. But, but what it points out is not that, oh, it makes sense. It points out that we have a tendency as human beings to do violence against that which keeps us from our ideals. We say stuff like, well, ideally, you know, to have a kid, I'd have more money at this place in my life. Or ideally, I'd be done with my education. Or ideally, I'd keep my job. Or ideally, my child wouldn't have health problems. Or ideally, my baby's father would be a dad. And so many over the years have fallen into this trap and this pit of regret by responding to these scenarios and thinking that the only way to save their life is to end another. And the victims are the marginalized and the unprotected. And it affects the pre-born and it affects the born as well and this this understanding and admitting this reality i think is what brings us to the point where we're ready to talk about the sanctity of life and this is what i mean there's this interaction that jesus has in mark chapter chapter 9 with his disciples and he's traveling with them he's speaking directly to the 12 that travel with him his closest followers And he's speaking with them and he's sharing with them some very intimate details about his ministry. One of the things that he shares with them is, hey, in a a while I'm going to be killed and I'm going to raise again in three days. But they kind of miss that. They're traveling through Galilee and they're on the road to this place called Capernaum. And once they get there, Jesus asks them, they get to the house that they're staying in. And he said, man, I could tell that you guys were talking a lot on the road. What, What were you guys talking about? What were you so animated about? Nobody wants to answer Jesus because they were busy the whole time talking about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Like, of course, you know, they're, they're, they're comparing each other. They're, you, know, you know how guys are. And so they're trying to see who's bigger and who's going to be better in the kingdom when Jesus finally establishes this thing that he's going to do. And they missed it. They completely missed the point. And Jesus knew what they were talking about. And in verse 35, Jesus calls the 12 of, of Mark chapter 9, he calls the 12 and he says, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. And I think, oh yeah, okay, that makes sense. So when you're going to lunch, like let's make sure other people get to go first, so we make sure that they're fed and we can serve them, and that's great, right? So we'll, we'll be last so other people can, which is probably a terrible example because nobody will actually go through the line to eat lunch. So we won't, we won't use that. But right, I mean, it's that kind of idea, certainly, But then Jesus does this weird thing in verses 36 and 37. Mark shares that he takes a little child who is with them. He he takes him in his arms and he says to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Just this quick two verse little illustration that Jesus makes about this child. And it's not about abortion. But but when I share with you the the context behind this and what Jesus is communicating when he says this and he creates this scenario with his disciples, I think you'll see exactly how it plays into this topic and this issue of sanctity of life. Because Jesus, as he pulls this child into him, this child was not looked at this day and age in antiquity, this child was not looked at as being fully human. See, the infant mortality rate at this point, some scholars suggest it was less than um, over half of kids born in this day and age never made it to age five. And so what does that do to you as a society and as a culture? Well, you don't get too attached. So you marginalize them. You kind of put them off to the side and say, well, you're not quite, we don't know, (laughs) you know, we don't know that you're a fully viable human being yet. And so we're, we're not going to look at you as such in our society. Does that sound familiar at all with this issue? And so children were looked at as being, they're, they're off to the side, they're not important, they're not valued, and Jesus takes this child into their midst and says, this, this person right here, these people right here, the people that you don't even view as being fully human yet, the marginalized, the people on the side, when you welcome them into your community, that's how you know God is here. And the converse is true. If we're not willing to welcome those type of people into our community, not welcome them and, and, and be with them, then, then God is not in that place. And so the sanctity of life has so much more of a broader scope. This, this idea of life having intrinsic value and holiness because of God has so much of a broader scope and broader idea than the issue of abortion and just simply being upset that abortions happen and that they're legal. It doesn't mean and, and it doesn't do much for the kingdom that Jesus calls us to to go out and picket a community when what he calls us to do is welcome those who are ostracized, and those who are dealing with being cast out of their community. It looks like being there for the mom-to-be who is scared, for the woman who has no support. The Guttmacher Institute points out that over 75% of abortions that happen, happen from women who are in communities where they're, they're at the poverty level or below. And so it looks like so much, so much more than just being upset that abortion happens. It looks like entering into those communities and caring for people who feel like that that's the only choice they can make in life. It looks like us being the type of people who are willing to welcome kids who come from those situations as foster parents. It looks like being the kind of people that would adopt and care for others. It looks like the Pregnancy Resource Center here in Richmond that is smack dab in the middle of three abortion clinics in this area that serves 75 zip codes around Richmond, Virginia, that are there sharing the light and love of God and caring for people with no strings attached, regardless of what's going on in their lives. It looks like welcoming and making a clear path for life for other people for no other motivation other than sharing Jesus with others. It looks like giving life and welcoming the mom who is struggling with that decision or has made that decision. It looks like welcoming the immigrant who is struggling and trying to find life. It looks like welcoming the refugee and the addict and the criminal and the homeless and the physically handicapped and the mentally handicapped. Sanctity of life is so much more of a bigger issue than just one thing. And it looks like exchanging life-taking decisions for life-giving solution. And it looks like us stepping into the mess of politics and sexual identity and ethnicity and selfishness and extending grace and truth and love so that people can see tangibly and feel and know in their lives that there's always room for them at the table that God sets for all of us. In Psalm chapter 106, the chapter ends not with all the horrible things that Israel has done in their history, but with what God does with it. He says, in, in Psalm chapter 106 verses 43 through 46, Many times he delivered them, but they were bent on rebellion, and they wasted away in their sin. And you know what? God would have been completely justified in stopping there. And yet it keeps going. He takes note of their distress when he hears their cry. And for their sake he remembered his covenant, and out of his great love he relented. And he caused all who held them captive to show them mercy. And this is the nature and the character of God that it's important for us to understand when it comes to living out messy grace. And, and, and when it comes to us knowing how he views those of us that need messy grace, is that no matter what your past sins are or whatever your current regrets are, all are welcome and all are invited into God's mercy and the grace that he shares with us at the table. The table that every week at Velocity we make the invitation for. That, that we accept and understand that as sinners, that we get to come here, regardless of where we stand on what issue, regardless of what we've done, regardless of what we will do. And we have this invitation to allow Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, His holiness in place of our inability to be holy, to cause us to live in a different way, and it causes us to experience God's love in a different way when we're willing to recognize that He's the one who gets to set the direction and will for our life. He's the one who created us, and He's the one who loves us. May we share that, and may we live that out. Let's pray. God, thank You for, um, God, just this moment for us to stop, and for us to consider, and to pray, and to be in Your presence, and to experience what You may be leading us to or calling us from. God, we ask that You um, guide us with Your Holy, Spirit's, Holy Spirit into obedience to You, into sharing Your grace with others, and living out Your truth in such a way that draws others to You. We praise You for Your Son, Jesus, and His sacrifice for us. And we thank you for the place that he's preparing. In Jesus' name, amen.